Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Today's podcast is sponsored by The Morning Navigator a daily newsletter written by Tony Greer, who is a 30-year veteran trader in the financial markets. I think it's important to be responsible with your personal finances and investments, and it's hard to do that without understanding the markets. Now this is where the Morning Navigator fills a specific need for me. If you're looking for actionable trade ideas or simply to educate yourself about the markets, then the Morning Navigator will help you to do both. It's an interesting, informative, and amusing daily read. Now, a subscription to The Morning Navigator normally costs $60 a month or $650 per year. However, my listeners can go to tgmacro.com, sign up for a free one-week trial, and apply the code ZUBY, Z-U-B-Y, at checkout for a discount of either $10 off the $60 a month subscription or $100 off the $650 annual subscription. As you can infer, the annual subscription is a better deal. Either one is a win when it comes to understanding the global markets and managing your personal investments. So once again, you can sign up today for a free trial at tgmacro.com. tgmacro.com. Go check it out. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me and destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang, y'all gon' remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on an awesome lady. This is Lauren Chen. She is host of the Pseudo Intellectual podcast on Blaze TV, formerly known as The Roaming Millennial on YouTube. And she is also an editor at EV Women's Magazine. So welcome to the show, Lauren. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that I've followed your work for the longest time, but we've never actually spoken together like this. So this is cool. Awesome. Likewise. And uh, I like what you do. So this is good. Appreciate it. <laughs> so I've done um, a brief intro there. You do, you do a whole bunch of stuff. You're, you're very well known on the internet and in the, the online space and this whole world. So why don't you tell the people a little bit more about uh, who you are and what you do? Sure. So uh, my name's Lauren. I started, started off in political commentary Gosh, it's going to be coming on four years now in this May. 
just on YouTube posting videos independently. Was lucky enough to eventually make commentary my full-time job. My background is actually, I studied political science and Middle East studies in Arabic when I was in university. And I, I get to rub it in all the people's faces who said that the political science degree was useless and that would, I would never use it in my life because I, I'm using it. I think me, Dave Rubin, and Ben Shapiro, also Matt Christensen on YouTube, we, we okay. were the, the poli-sci gang. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I tend to talk about a lot of the same, cult, the same issues that you do, um, social, cultural, political, and like you as well, I've also moved around quite a bit. Mm. I was born in Canada, but grew up in Hong Kong. I've lived in the UK, Shanghai, and Singapore, and then came to the US for university. So, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely Western in most of my cultural perspectives, but I also think that having an international perspective does help. And I think it's also in, influenced a lot of things that I believe about foreign policy specifically. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that that's really interesting. Like you said, we're, we're both very similar in that regard in that, you know, it gives you an ability to see things from a range of different perspectives and to sort of analyze the pros and cons of different systems and cultures and belief systems and things like that. And, and think, understand that, you know, it's not just, there's just one sort of standard or way of seeing things, which I think a lot of people in the West, to be honest, I think most people around the world sort of right. have, right? If you, don't, if you don't travel a lot, I think one of the big benefits of traveling besides, you know, the surface level seeing cool things, but if you really spend time somewhere, you just get a better understanding of human beings and the different ways people do things, different ways that people think, and how societies, cultures, religions, all that just sort of influences a whole place, not to mention history. How do you think that's shaped your view on stuff in general, but you also mentioned foreign policy specifically? Well, when it comes to foreign policy, I know um, being, I guess, in Asia Pacific specifically, um, I know that there's a lot of tensions in that area right now. And I feel like there are people, I mean, really everywhere that are too keen to start military actions for things. But I, I'm someone who actually thinks like, hang on a second, like I've been to that country, I have friends from that area. Let's think about this. Um, you know, let's make sure they maintain their sovereignty. And I think if if you don't have any personal co connections, it, that can be hard to do. Not for everybody, mm. but I, I and it's it's also not meant to be a way as in like oh I know someone therefore other countries should be able to get away with whatever they want. That's not it either. It's just that there's a a very common narrative that's pushed when it comes to foreign policy that we need to be their saviors and that it's up to us and everything everyone will love us when when we go there but not only has history shown that that's not really how it works out i think there are if, if you put yourself in the perspective of that country you wouldn't probably appreciate another country coming in mm -hmm. and meddling in your affairs and we, we've seen that time and time again so yeah. with everything happening with you know China and Hong Kong now, that's kind of where my mind is at. Like, well, hang on. Like, I grew up in these places, and I'm not saying that because I you know grew up there that China should be able to get away with whatever they want doing to Hong Kong. But it's also like maybe this isn't mm -hmm. the the best time to just start dropping bombs or, or sending in troops. Which it's not like the Trump administration or anyone in a serious position has suggested. But yeah. there are a lot of people online. Anytime something happens, where they're they're keen to say, "Let's go all in," and say, eh, I don't know about that. Yeah. It, yeah, it's complicated. You know, that that's one issue that I'm very undecided on. Mm -hmm. It's a conversation I've had, you know, quite a lot with friends and family, which is both on an individual level and on a nation level. What is the right balance? 
between sort of minding your own business and not worrying or trying to control things that are sort of outside of your locus of control or even your sort of geographical region, but also having that level of empathy and compassion and wanting to help and have concern about other things. I mean, it's not something people really talk about a lot explicitly, but we all know that if something happens to a family member, that affects you, you know, most strongly, you know, if it happens to like a a friend, it's a, a tiny bit weaker. If it's someone on your street, it's still strong, but a little weak. And as you sort of move away geographically, um, we naturally, the human thing is to sort of shrug it off a little bit more. Like we all know terrible, horrible stuff goes on around the world all the time. And it's like, if you spent all your time worrying about it, then you'll just end up sort of curled up in a little ball, like just crying, like the world is terrible, like everything is awful. Right. But at the same time, if you, if you go completely to the other end, you become like totally apathetic. Like it's also not good to be totally apathetic and just be like, okay, yeah, like whatever. It doesn't affect me. So I don't care. Like a lot of people say, oh, it doesn't affect me. Why should I care? And I get that on one hand, but on the other side, I mean, we're in the midst of this situation right now. Okay. This thing's not currently anyway, it's not affecting me, but should I just not care about how it's affecting other people? You know what I mean? It's like, that doesn't, that doesn't seem right. But at the same time, you've got people going all the way the opposite end and they're going crazy. <laughs> and yeah. Because, you know, I, I don't know. And I feel the same kind of applies to countries themselves. What's that right balance? Because it doesn't seem right. Like if there's real abuses going on in somewhere or say, you know, at an extreme, there's like a genocide or something happening in another country. Should the other mm. countries kind of just sit back and be like, oh, well, it's not our business. Like that also doesn't, doesn't seem right. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. No, you're right. It's it's really, really hard. And a lot of people like to pretend that it's black and white when it's not. I mean, the Rwandan genocide, most people, it's kind of widely acknowledged that the international community should have yes. stepped up there. Something should have done, been done. But it where I think it gets really, really complicated is that when you have almost these civil wars, right, where there's internal strife mm. within a nation, uh, what who, whose side are you supposed to come down on if you do decide to intervene, yeah. right? And we, we kind of saw this in in Syria, uh, you know, Western countries are very keen to see Assad out, but then you go to the ground and talk to Syrian people and it seems like, okay, well, the majorities are supportive of him, but he's, you know, he obviously does have human rights issues. So it's like, is it our responsibility to just depose this ruler and try to set up other elections until someone else whose um, rule we can sign off on is elected? Because in, in South America, previous generations when the CIA did that it was not well received so what is the right what is the right play and I think in the Middle East we have an issue where you know it's not just uh, different political factions they're actually enduring ideologies that are causing a lot of the violence is it our responsibility to sort of re-educate populations there in order to stop that extremism how how committed how far do we need to go do we need to be there for 20 years, 30 years, mm. it, it's not easy. And there's going to be people, regardless of what you do, who are saying, you are letting these people die. It's your fault, right? And whether you go there or not, because if you don't go there, you're apathetic, you're being too passive. If you do go there, there's going to be collateral damage. You're going to yeah. be seen as a foreign invader. That's just unavoidable. It, it, it's not it's not easy, but what, what does frustrate me is the number of people who I see giving you know, these really hot takes and, you know, 
civilians and politicians included who don't know anything about the area. Yeah. That's really frustrating to me. I spent my entire time getting my degree studying the Iraq region and a bit of the Levant. And anytime something <laughs> with the Middle East comes comes up, it's amazing how many people on Twitter turn into foreign policy experts. Oh, it's boy. like, yeah, yeah I, I've spent years <laughs> learning about this stuff. I don't even know. And you're, you're kind of spouting off, off as if it's this simple. It's not. Yeah. And we, we really yeah. saw that at the beginning of the year when, I mean, we were supposed to be in the middle of World War III right now. Right. And um, yeah, that, that didn't go as people were saying. But um, one, one thing I'm curious to know is like, given your, given your background, how, what are the, let me, let me rephrase this. So you've grown up in um, multiple different countries. So Canada, mm-hmm. Hong Kong, UK, uh, USA as well. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, have I missed any? So we have Canada. It help, I always go in order. So Canada, okay, Hong Kong, Shanghai, UK, Singapore, and the US. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. If you can kind of go through each of those countries briefly, what are some of the sort of big big pros of each one and the sort of cons in your mind, because I, I feel the same having exposure to lots of different places. And it's, it's interesting to sort of like compare and contrast them. Well, I think it's, you've probably noticed this too in Western countries and I'm kind of going to group the UK, Canada and the U S in, in this sphere. Mm-hmm. We almost act as if things like divorce and um, like drug use are just inherent parts of life that this is just normal this is what happens to everybody everywhere Mm. it's not true yeah um it's just not true Uh, one of the biggest shocks for me going to live in canada when i was 12 was seeing how common it was for people to be divorced for people Mm -hmm. to have kids out of wedlock that's something that i it was a culture shock to me i'm gonna jump in and i'm gonna tell you something hilarious go for it i didn't know that you could have a child without being married to someone until I was about 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I legitimately didn't. And I think I found out from uh, Jerry Springer or the Maury show. <laughs> no, but know. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no, go ahead. I just thought that would be. Well, a, you're, I, I think I kind of had a similar perspective, right? I, I went to these school, you know, a- Asian cultures, everyone's families were together. I had never like, in Quebec, you have all these kids because no one gets married with double-barreled names. So you have the, the the mother's last name and the father's last name. I didn't know what that was. I met my first friend who had divorced parents. Um, it was just it was a culture shock. And same thing with like drug addiction. Like mm-hmm. in in schools in like Hong Kong and stuff. I'm not saying that there are no drugs, but there's not this overwhelming culture of yeah drug use. And I see in the U.S. and Canada there are these huge debates over legalization versus criminalization versus you know yada yada yada. And I'm kind mm-hmm. of standing over here like okay, but can we talk about why so many of you are doing this in the first place? Yeah. Because this is a cultural issue that is not present in other countries. In mm. Western societies, we have like a chemical dependence on things like drinking and drug use. And I want to know why that is, not just argue about, well, are we allowed to do it? Even if you're allowed to do it, this should, this should worry you. How, how do people respond when you say that? Um, I, I often get told that I'm like, I'm a prude, I'm overreacting, <laughs> things like that. And it's what? like, there's an opioid epidemic. And I think not, not to say that smoking weed is the same thing as doing, uh, taking opioids, but I think that whole mentality of self-medicating mm-hmm. and indulging in 
I guess, uh, mind altering like substances, that is cultural. And you can't say that the two are completely divorced from each other because other places don't have these issues. So that was a huge thing. Okay. Uh, something else that I also noticed was that this, the U.S. is really safe in a lot of areas. And so, so is Canada. I, I don't want to say otherwise. Hmm. But in American cities specifically, and unfortunately in, in places in Europe too, it, it does feel very dangerous. Like I grew up Southeast Asia. I went to a lot of developing countries. I never felt less safe than yeah. I did when I was like walking through Compton mm-hmm. when I was a university in Los Angeles. And that shouldn't happen in a developed country. There's a crime problem in these cities that no one seems to want to talk about. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, people, people are always surprised by that. When I tell people I grew up in Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. one of the first things people often say is, oh, was it, was it safe there? Or isn't it really dangerous there? And I'm like, it's literally safer than the UK and US. Like, If I'm going around a Saudi city, I feel safer than, you know, like you said, you know, than mm-hmm. Los Angeles or London or New York yeah. or anything like that. And then, you know, some people will say, oh, that's just because you're a man or whatever. And I'm like, no. I don't think it is. It is legitimately, it is legitimately safer. This is not, this is not saying that there are no other problems, but a lot of the social issues, this is really what you've been saying, a lot of the social right. issues that exist in the West, they're just not, they're just not really a thing there, mm-hmm. right? They do have their other issues. Like I think people have very like binary ways of thinking these days and they think it's either like all this way or all or that all, way. Yeah. And it, yeah, and it does seem like humans struggle, especially collectively to sort of find a nice balance. I mean, in some regards, I certainly think Saudi Arabia, it means changing quickly now, but I certainly think it is too conservative in some aspects. But at the same time, in the modern world in 2020, I think the UK and USA and Canada are too liberal in some aspects to the point that right. it's like all standards are kind of, even the suggestion of there being standards sort of offends people. And it's like, no, there like are standards. You know, there are some, there are some activities and things we probably should shame that there should mm-hmm. be a stigma around, even if it's legal, right? It, it shouldn't be. Shouldn't be good. It shouldn't, no, shouldn't it shouldn't be considered good. Is, we shouldn't aspire yeah. to it. You shouldn't, you know, and people just get very offended with it and stuff. And yeah, I don't know. It's just, um, it's interesting. And I think that's something that people like us who have really sort of grown up in different places are, are just very likely to experience. It's hard because I think people don't understand why this is important. And as someone who's seen the different outputs of both cultures, you're very clearly able to say, okay, this is why all of your, the the children in these schools are misbehaving, right? This is why there's so much poverty because of single parent households. Like you're able to draw those distinctions and say, hey, you know, X happens here, but not over here. And so this is why this, the results are so different. But I think a lot of people, they're not able to kind of make that connection. I know I've done so many videos about, um, when the mother, okay, yeah, single mother homes. I was drawn okay, yeah, between yeah. fatherless and single mother. Yeah, yeah, single mother homes and um, how it has ravaged specific communities. And, you know, I talk about it and I, I talk about how this leads to uh, kind of a, a perpetual cycle of poverty, how these mm-hmm. kids are less likely to graduate from high school. They're more likely to go to prison, have behavioral mm-hmm. problems. And it's really just setting these kids up for, I'm not going to say certain failure because some kids from single parent homes do amazing, but they don't have the same opportunities that they might otherwise have. And in response to that, I I have people say, 
well, you, you don't actually care about the black community because you don't support this welfare program. Like I'm trying yeah. to help all communities. Do you know all my, of them? Do you know my, yeah. have, have you have you always been somewhat conservative? Would you say? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah? Okay, so you're, you're like me. We haven't really sort of like changed, you know. No. Um, you know, part of the reason for that with me is, you know, besides just just how I was raised and you know my family values and stuff, but part of it, something I see a lot. One of, one of my sort of big problems with leftism slash liberalism is lots of the ideas, a lot of the social ideas, they are the root of a lot of problems. So mm-hmm. they create these problems and then want to use the government to fix these problems that they've created with these ideas. Do you see right. what I mean? So if, you're, if you talk about something like fatherless homes, single motherhood or whatever, anyone who's remotely honest knows that this is a problem, right? We, we can, right. can look at the statistics. You can see the percentage of men in prison who grew up in homes without fathers. You can see the effect on crime rates, the effect on school grades and success, income, all those kind of things. These are just facts. This isn't to shame anyone or whatever, right? This is just, these are facts. But a lot of what has encouraged that and has encouraged, you know, all the, you know, the no-fault divorces and, you know, broken families and tr- totally destigmatizing everything, it's like all of this is creating, and then not to mention the welfare policies, it's like you're creating the problem and now you want to shout at me, you want to shout at you because we're not, so we, we'd rather talk about the root rather right. than just take the government and throw more money or resources or whatever, at, you know, trying to patch a bandaid on a bullet wound. And it's like, no, like, why is the bullet wound there? You know, can we, can we talk about this? And then people get offended and everyone wants to be politically correct. And you say you're shame, you're, oh, you're shaming single mothers or you're doing this. Or you, and it, I don't know, it just gets, I find it very frustrating. That, that's just one example, but it seems to happen a lot of, on a lot of issues. No, it, it really does. And what, what is frustrating is the whole shaming aspect. Because mm. I think a lot of these, these single mothers, we're at a point now, like everyone loves to blame millennials for all the problems. And I, I don't give them any free passes, but a lot of the single mothers now likely grew up with single mothers themselves, mm-hmm. right? The baby boomers are the ones who started the whole divorce trend mm-hmm. or single parenthood trend. Uh, you know, it's gone up. But if you come from that background, you are way, way more likely to have a child out of wedlock yourself. So we have an entire generation of people right now who don't know what a traditional family structure even looks like, yeah. right? Because they were failed by not only, um, you know, in some ways their upbringing, but also by the education system who thinks it's more important to tell people about like uh, how oppressed they are versus, okay, these are the facts we know about how how you can be productive in life and how you can ensure that you have a better future for yourself. So it's, mm. it's, it's not about shaming anyone. It's about trying to, trying to help people by sharing this information, saying, hey, you may have been told something else that it's going to be fine, there's no difference, but actually the statistics, like you say, paint a very different picture. Yeah. And it's to help them. It's not to shame them. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's a really frustrating thing. I mean, you, you see the same in, in lots of different areas. I mean, something I've just observed over the last few years is anyone who essentially, it doesn't matter what area this is. This could be in finances, in relationships, in nutrition, diet, um, exercise, any area of life, anyone who sort of tells the truth and suggests to people that they themselves should take personal responsibility or that they could improve themselves or do better in some way, mm-hmm. the messenger is always going to be attacked. 
which is something I've really noticed. Like it doesn't matter what area it is. If you don't just go along with the, oh, well, nothing is your fault and society, the system, the system is the problem and the system needs to change and the system is broken. And if you don't take that line, it's like, man, you, you need a, you need a very thick skin. You need to be a tough person because you're going to get attacked, right? Because people are going to claim that you're not being compassionate or you're not being kind, or you don't really, you don't really want to help people if you don't want to just indulge yeah. them. Yeah. If you don't want, if you don't want to just raid the billionaires and distribute all their money evenly, then that's because you hate poor people, right? It's not because, yeah. you know, if you want to, if you think certain welfare programs don't help or create negative perverse incentives, then it's because you want those people to struggle or die or you don't care about them or whatever. And I think this is sort of a frustration for anyone sort of right-leaning in general, whether they're conservative or libertarian or whatever, because the answer is not just, oh, just give the government more money, more power, more money, more power. And I don't know, like in one way, I don't really care because I know what my intentions are, but I don't know what your thoughts are around how you yourself and maybe more conservative-leaning people in general could maybe, especially for the younger generation, could Mm -hmm. maybe, I don't know, put that message across so people know that the care is there, the compassion is there. It's just sort of coming from a different, and what I would actually say, a deeper deeper angle. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing we need to do is start to chip away at this idea that to criticize someone and want them to grow or think that it's better if they do something a little bit differently is to attack them or to hate them because that's that's not how life works right and i think if we look at what jordan peterson his whole message has been about self-improvement and looking inward before you start criticizing outward and i think part of why he's been so vilified is because that's exactly the opposite of what social justice says to do it's not about your personal issues it's all about how every everyone else is treating you. It's about how the system is treating you. You don't need to do anything. You're fine. Perfect the way you are. It's just, it's, um, you know, the, the racism, the sexism, the whatever that's holding you down, the bad system. And I, I think you and I are both like more than happy to criticize bad government systems when we see them. Of course, <laughs> it's sure. not about just protecting the system, but yeah, yeah. Um, if, if you don't have any inward, inward reflection, then you're not going to develop as a person. And I've heard people, this is not my idea, uh, kind of compare it to the way a mother versus a father is going to care for someone, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think it's true that usually, you know, with motherhood in that nurturing sense, there's that want to indulge and just say it's okay and, and give them what they want in order to kind of placate them. But then usually, that's not always a bad thing, but then usually that is balanced out by the more, I guess, masculine approach of trying to encourage growth and mm. resilience to do better. And I think as society has progressed in the West, we've seen more and more of the just indulge whatever you want, whatever you say attitude and less and less of the tough love attitude that mm. may not feel good at the time, but is going to be better for you in the future. And it's, it's really hard when you're talking to some people to make them understand that you're doing this from a place of love and caring because you want the best for them. And some people just don't want to hear it, but I'm hoping that especially right now, a lot of, you know, in the United States, for example, we're seeing some of the positive aspects from that approach, right? Uh, People don't just want welfare handed to them. They want to be able to be successful by themselves, start their own businesses, Uh, you know, unemployment rates for all of these different groups, women, Hispanic people, black people, they're all at historic lows. Uh, 
I don't know about right what, now, but yeah, right now it is not a good time. <laughs> yeah. but a few months ago, um, yeah. and I think when people begin to see that, hang on a second, this does work. There's some merit to this when we can mm. actually show them results that say, "See, I don't just want to hate on you. I I want to help you succeed." It'll yeah. be easier to get that message across when we have something tangible. Yeah, definitely. And I think something that's happened as well. I think you know. I think there are a lot of interesting shifts going on, and I think part of it is because now more than any time in history and more than pretty much any other part of the world if you live in the western world if you're in mm-hmm. you know uk western europe australia canada usa australia uh, new zealand then the system has never been more fair in terms of equality of opportunity and trying to stamp out genuine discrimination, whether that's along racial lines or um, Mm -hmm. ethnic lines or sex lines or whatever it is, sexuality, the system has actually, for the first time ever, right? You know, for the first time ever, like you can't really look, as far as I'm aware, I can't look at any British law, law in the UK that discriminates against people based on those things. In fact, in fact, quite the opposite. In some places, there's perhaps been an overcorrection. So, Mm -hmm. And that, that wasn't the case, you know, even, even decades ago, let alone centuries ago. So I think in the past, the people who were sort of blaming the system had much more of a, of a point. You know what I mean? It's like, right. okay, yeah, well, this group of people can't even vote or they're being discriminated against in housing or they're being literally being paid less or whatever. Then at that time, all those movements made a lot more sense. And I feel like people still want to cling on to you've got a lot of people who want to still believe they're living in this civil rights era. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they still, they still have that energy and they want to get out in the streets and they like want to be a revolutionary. And-, and yeah, yeah. They want, they want to do all that. You know, you got the women's March in the U S and they go out yeah. there and they've got their signs, all their signs say stuff that has nothing to do with each other. Like it's, it's all disorganized and they're just, you know, they're angry. They've got a chip on their shoulder. They want to say something, you know, what are we fighting for equal rights? And you're like, which ones? You know what I mean? And like, you know, you could probably have a conversation with them and they themselves wouldn't really know specifically what, what it is that they want. I'm not really asking a question here. I'm just sort of no. sharing a thought of like what I think has kind of been, been going on for the, the past sort of. You're right. When, when we look at the kind of um, civil rights fights that were happening, you know, in the 60s and 70s and things like that for genuine equality. And I'm not like, Neither you know, I know sometimes when I say there's no systemic racism, people will say, point to this law from the 50s, and it's like, okay, but am I talking about the 50s? Because, you know, I'm half uh, Caucasian, half Chinese, interracial marriages used to be banned in some places in the United States, right? And that was more recent than I think most people would like. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not to say that there was never any discrimination, but I think the problem, what sets aside or sets apart social justice movements now from civil rights fights of previous generations is that we've become, we've begun to look at discrimination completely different, right? In yeah. the past, it was about being treated equally. I want to be treated equally, you know, by the, the content of my character, not the color of my skin, the famous mm-hmm. line. But now what people have done is they've gone and defined discrimination or racism differently. Yeah. There's this lie and it's, it's just a, a blatant lie going around that everyone's outcomes must be equal. And if they're not, it's because of discrimination in the system, yeah. right? And so that's a huge problem. And because people are operating under the false assumption that no, everyone, regardless of how they behave or what kind of behaviors they partake in must have the same outcomes, 
when those same outcomes don't appear, it must be because of racism and therefore mm-hmm. we need to change something. I don't know what, but clearly something. I mean, we see this, for example, like the number of female CEOs. Oh, gosh, yeah. I'm not going to say that there's never been sexism in a boardroom even mm-hmm. to this day, but to say that there's like a systemic barrier that's mm-hmm. just preventing women from being CEOs. Otherwise, it would be 50-50. Like, what are you basing you know that on? What, what's super interesting with that, especially when it comes to the, the, the gender thing, is how selective people are when they choose what they're looking at firstly you have a what i think i think the actual term is they call it the apex fallacy Mm -hmm. which means that you know you mentioned ceos right so people look straight to the top okay so they're not you're looking literally at the the top ranking i mean how many what percentage of men are ceos yeah (laughs) you're looking at the very top and you're totally ignoring the bottom if you look at the bottom of society right? Who are most of the homeless, who are most of right. the drug addicts, who are most of the people on the streets or whatever, right? It's very heavily, I don't know, the numbers, depending on where you are, it might be 60 to 80% men, okay? Mm-hmm. And no one, no one looks at that. No one wants to talk about it. No one is pushing for 50-50 gender split in uh, plumbers and uh, lumberjacks and people- Miners. Uh, miners, yeah. you know, people working on the roofs, people uh, digging up the streets, right? It's very, very selective to certain industries. And then also it's not even done the other way around. So when you do have legitimate like female dominated industries, which is also totally fine, there aren't that Mm -hmm. many men that want to be primary school teachers, not because we're not allowed to. You just don't have that many men who are wired like that. There aren't that many men who want to be nurses. And just like I think it's silly in on the other side, I think it would be silly to be discriminating against women who actually want to be primary school teachers because you're there trying to like socially engineer to get more men to, to do this job. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And then in, in general, this whole equality of outcome thing, people only do it in, again, people only do it in certain sectors. The NBA is something like 72% black athletes. Mm-hmm. Whereas what, black men make up 7% of the American population? Yeah, okay. something like you have that. 7% of the population making up 70 something percent of this whole sports league right? If someone were to suggest that the NBA is like racist against Jewish people or racist, against, you, you'd, you'd laugh them out the room, right? You'd be like, right. well, you're being ridiculous, right? But people will apply that exact same logic with no nuance whatsoever to these other things. And I don't know what that is. Like, I try not to imagine that people are just like dumb, but it seems like a really, like, it's not a super complicated thing to understand. So I don't know why people... I think, I mean, and I'm sure you agree that if, if people can point to an area or a law or a practice where it, where it is blatantly discriminatory, yeah. then yeah, let's get rid of it. That's yeah. fine. I mean, I would even be, people complain about the whole resume thing, um, you know, either women or ethnic minorities getting different rates of callback. I would be fine with um, nameless resumes, right? Oh, yeah, Just in course. case there is a buy, like, that's fine. I don't care. Um, But I think a lot of the problem people have is that they don't understand statistics, which (laughs) is why I like Jordan Peterson's videos a lot, because he actually takes the time to explain, you know, things like a bell curve and why, no, like men aren't, um, you know, smarter than women or anything like that. But it's like, if we look at the tail ends, because the distribution is different, the number of male geniuses is going to be higher than the number of female geniuses. And people get so offended when you say stuff like, that. And I think it applies to CEOs too, right? Because if we look at the CEO not needs to not only be intelligent, but also, you know, kind of, I don't want to say aggressive because it has a negative connotation, but competitive, um, competitive right? That's yeah. better. Um, that's all, they're going to be overrepresented in men. And then you will have all of these women say no, mm-hmm. but me, I am these things. And it's like, that's great. 
yep. doesn't change statistics and averages. It doesn't. And it's, it's another apex fallacy because mm-hmm. look at the, what percentage of people in prison are male. Right. 90%. Yeah. It's the same thing. The same thing that makes 90% of prisoners male is the same thing that makes 90% of CEOs male. Right. right. That's and just, think- that's just it. Yeah. Yeah, and we with the whole males being criminals thing, I think a lot of um, feminists, they like to say, oh, look, all, all men are, or most men are criminals, therefore men in general are criminals. And it's like, no, we're mean. taking, yeah, we're taking a, yeah. <laughs> a small area of the most yeah. aggressive, violent people who men are overrepresented in, but For that sure. doesn't apply to the complete rest of the curve. Yeah, um, yeah these conversations are frustrating and it seems like a lot of people <laughs> don't want to listen. No, they don't. You know, what, what can we do? Tell me a little bit more about your, uh, your sort of story. So I know you started out um, in terms of getting into the social commentary world. I know you started out on YouTube as the roaming millennial. Right. And you, you didn't put your real name out there for a while, right? Like you. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I never thought this would be my, my full time job or my thing. So it was, it was really just a hobby. And as I'm sure you're aware, there are certain opinions that if you, if you put them online for like job prospects, it's maybe not the best to have your face associated with it, which is so it's ridiculous. But, you know, I thought this might be a fun little side venture, something, uh, some way I could be more involved with the whole like political discourse that I was seeing and I was interested in, but didn't really have a an outlet to communicate how I was feeling. Mm. And what really pains me so much now is that I I got started independently on YouTube. I didn't go the journalist route or the like news anchor route. I often have people writing to me saying, I would love to be more involved in this kind of thing. How can I get started? Because of all of the, I mean, frankly, censorship measures that YouTube and other tech giants are taking now, I don't even know if it's possible for people to get started the way that I did anymore. I don't. It's terrible. Yeah. And what what made you want to get into that world to to begin with? Did you just think that your voice was needed or? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 most of my friends here, most people here in general are leftists and I love them. Still be friends with them. Totally fine. But, but, you know, part of me did still feel like, hang on, I don't feel like my opinions are being represented or I don't feel like people are taking this into consideration. So it's kind of that pent up frustration of me just wanting to tell people what I think that initially spurred me to, to create a channel. And I, I, that's still my advice to anyone who says, I kind of want to do this regardless of it's, if it's going to become a full-time job or not. I think it's so important that people feel that they're able to share their opinions. And I think there's a concerted effort right now to pretend that certain opinions don't exist Mm -hmm. or that they're in the fringe, but they're not. And I I don't want to let people believe that they are. And to do that, we need more people speaking up. Awesome. And yeah. what's it like in what's it like in Canada? Because I noticed that uh, it seems like a disproportionate voice number of voices sort of in this sphere do come from Canada, which is mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. And why do you think that is? And what's the what's the sort of climate like there? Um, it's very strange. I think Canadians, and this is something that. Canadians are less politically involved than Americans, mm. for better or worse, right? Because we have a lot less, a lot fewer protests. There's a lot less polarization, but there's also more apathy. Okay. So it's, you know, it's a double-edged sword. And um, so here it's, it's funny because most Canadians support the 
the idea of free speech. Uh, you know, they're, they're actually more con socially conservative than you would think. But if you look at our government, they're completely off the rails, right? There are things like hate speech and it's, it's yeah. frustrating because as a Canadian, I know that if more, more people were aware of what Trudeau's administration was doing and what kind mm. of laws were being put in, in place, they would not support it. But, you know, we're, we're Canadians, we're nice, <laughs> we're easygoing, it's fine, don't worry about it. So that's kind of frustrating. Um, so far, I, it's not as bad as the UK, I would say, in terms okay. of free speech. There have been, uh, there's been a comedian that was once fined for a joke about a, referring to a, a disabled person, which was very, very scary. But so far, not that the infrastructure, the laws aren't in place mm. to really, really find people for stepping out of line. But so far, we haven't seen the implementation of that, if that makes sense. Okay. That's like Bill C-16 and stuff like that. Right, right. Or yeah. even just, you know, free speech is guaranteed in our charter of rights and freedoms subject to unless you cause hate against a certain group. And it's like, okay, well... Is yeah. it there or is it not? <laughs> yeah. So there's there's the opportunity for them to to start prosecuting people, but they haven't done that yet, thankfully. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the UK, I've kind of just like... Uh... What did I say the other day? I, I said, yeah, the free, freedom of speech is like... It's basically, it's kind of like a myth here. It's like... A, sort sort of but not really i mean every th i don't know how many thousands of people every year are at least investigated and mm -hmm. let alone how many are charged with uh you know tweeting the wrong thing literally or like you know there was a girl who was investigated i think was she arrested she she posted I think she was oh, yeah she posted the rapper's the rap lyrics. yeah she posted the rapper's lyrics yeah. uh, stuff like that and then of course you know uh, count dankula you know who, who i'm friends with gary and he i was facing jail time but that didn't happen it's terrifying. And I think, I'm not sure if you felt this way, but kind of seeing the way freedom of speech specifically is approached in different countries, it's kind of made me realize, and I think you even mentioned this the other day, human rights are not seen as universal. No. That doesn't mean that they don't inherently exist, but just having people recognize them is not a guarantee, right? So I think you need to be able to back up why something is or is not a right. It, something doesn't just become a right no matter how much you say it. You mm. need to have a reason why. Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting subject. One thing I've been thinking a lot about recently is, I guess, this question of objective or versus subjective rights and morality, and you know, even right and wrong to some degree. I feel like it's both objective and subjective. You get a lot of people saying, you know, is is good and evil objective or subjective? And I think in some, I think in some obvious cases it's it's totally objective right like it's mm -hmm. but then but even then there are all there are like exceptions that do show that it does seem to be subjective right so the other day i said something positive about saudi arabia and i you know i was getting shellacked because you know they're everyone was literally parroting the exact same thing their human rights abuse record da 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 but in my own personal view and this may be deeply deeply unpopular especially to people in the west if we're going by like, if we're going by body count, then the West has killed way more human beings, right? right? Like including innocent human beings and people justify it differently and people rationalize it differently and it happens in different ways and it's sold to people in different ways. But that was kind of the point I was trying to be making, right? Because people were talking about, um, I think in, the, in Saudi, I think on average, I think maybe they execute about 200 people a year, okay? But then, you know, I know I'm pro-life, you're pro-life, right? For someone mm -hmm. who is pro-life and who considers you know, abortion is 
killing a human being, like with, however you want to sugarcoat it. Yeah. And looking at the numbers, you're kind of like, well, because people were like, oh, well, you're you're using whataboutism. You're you're deflecting, right? Why are you talking about abortion? Whatever. It's like, well, that's just your own version. You have a problem with this one, but you think this one is fine, and they're like, yeah. it's different. And I'm and like, well, you've been you've been sold the idea that it's different, but explain to me why it's so different to you. And I wouldn't even call that whataboutism, right? Because it's not like you're trying to dismiss the idea that executions in Saudi Arabia are bad. You're also highlighting that we have a problem over here, mm. right? So it's not what about to dismiss that this is. It's just to illustrate how this is a huge problem over here that no one's talking about, right? Yeah. And I, I think people throw around the word moral relativism when it doesn't really apply because that's mm. not, you know, saying like, oh, it's okay for Saudi to execute these people because we kill more people. That's not mm. it at all. It's comparing two situations. Yeah. You don't need to be a relativist to compare things. And the numbers right? are clear. It's not, it's not even, I mean, if you were to go by raw numbers, like it's not, yeah. it's not even in the same stratosphere. It's like a totally different stratosphere. It's like 200, half a million. Mm -hmm. right? It's like these, these are not even, so if I'm going, by, so people are there talking to me, telling me I'm crazy for even comparing these things. And I'm like, well, you know, what are we, why, you know, why? Like, you know, it just, it becomes a very emotional thing for people, but I'm like, look, like, tell me, instead of just telling me I'm wrong, like explain to me how what I'm saying doesn't make sense. Like, and I, I think people know it does. And I think that's why the emotional thing sort of comes out. Cause it's like, well, right. Because it's people and I'm, I'm a nationalist. So this isn't even about like, no, no, we need to hate countries and they're bad, but it's yeah. people sometimes when they're too far that way, they're unable to see problems mm. that exist in their own culture. They, they don't even think it's a problem. They think it's a good right. thing. That's, that's, that's the thing that's even crazier to me. Right. Yeah. Like they, they generally think it's a good thing. I'm, I'm look, my thought is like, if I'm telling you to not shoot dogs, then it helps if I'm not like stabbing kittens. You know, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. I can be taken a lot more seriously. Like it, that's not what aboutism, like you were saying. It's like, yeah, you're, you're right. I'm saying, yeah, you shouldn't shoot dogs. Yeah. It's I'm just there, like, hey, I'm let's, like, if know, we I'm have not... this principle, let's be consistent with it. Right. Yeah, but if I'm here like stabbing all these kittens, then, yeah. you know, and, and then I'm like, oh, hey, you know, you shouldn't do that. And it's like, yeah, dude, but you're like, um, look at what you're doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. But and I think when like when it comes to the Middle East specifically, and I've gotten into this with people, and because I'm I'm someone I studied um, like Middle Eastern history and culture and languages because I didn't know anything about that, and I wanted to because I felt like I had a huge blind spot. Like I you know I grew up in Asia, I was like from a Western background, familiar with that culture. I had no idea what was going on in the Middle East, so I wanted to learn more. And honestly, I. There were a lot of misconceptions that were that I had that were kind of debunked when I started learning about it more. You know, mm -hmm. the idea that anything in the Middle East is barbaric, the people, the culture, it's just all trash because of some, you know, state regi regimes or some extremists. Like, no, yeah. that's not true. And I, I've been called a leftist for saying that. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. I don't know. Like, this it's, is <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh it's, it's a confusing thing, but I think a lot of these problems, you know, I think it, it all gets exacerbated by the online thing. We know mm -hmm, we both spend sure. a lot of time online and we're on different social media platforms. And it's like the way I was thinking of it the other day is every time you put something out there, whether it's like text is probably the worst, but you know, a text, a tweet, um, a video, any kind of post, it's like for every follower you have, it's like a different translation. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you can, you can say one, I, you can put out one tweet 
and then you get over a hundred thousand different translations and different interpretations of what you've just said. Like you, you just said one thing, but each person hears yeah. it in their own way. With broken telephone. And, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then the next thing you know, it's like gone off to just, just a whole different world. Like it's weird. I, I, I really try not to um, search for myself too much online these days. Like I used to enjoy it. It used to be like, Oh cool. Like I'm going to Google myself and see what people are saying now. <laughs> now it's like, Oh gosh. I, yeah. I'm, and I, I, when I have done it, I've seen, I don't know. I've just seen like the craziest stuff, like stuff I, stuff that I supposedly believe or mm-hmm. st- supposedly have said. And I'm just like, when, where did this one come from? Like, where, yeah. <laughs> when, when did I say this? Yeah, there was this, um, like there, what was it? Like a media matters or media. There was some, like some random piece that had been written about me. And I was like reading what they thought my views were. And there were times where like, did I, have I even ever spoken about this? Right. Because sometimes you can gather, oh, they must have, they, they twisted that when I said, mm. but sometimes it's so far off. You're like, I don't even know when this would have, like, you would have had my name and the subject together. Like, mm. because I don't talk like, where did this come from? And it's frustrating. And I think I've seen other commentators, like you can get caught in the weeds. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if all you want to do is say, I did, and you know, and kind of clarify your views, that could literally be all you do online. And it's really frustrating seeing someone misrepresent you and not, not saying anything, but it's, you know, it happens so often. It's exhausting. How do you balance it out? I mean, it's hard. I'm at a point now where I argue a lot less with people on what I mean Mm -hmm. on either comments or on social media than I used to, because like if, if I say something and someone says, oh, so you mean this? And I go, no. And I state again very clearly, maybe in a different way that's more easier to understand or whatever, yeah. because I, I'm not perfect. Sometimes what I say might not be the most clear, but then they still come with the most uncharitable, ridiculous, out of nowhere thing. Then I just mm. stop because I know this person doesn't actually care. They're not trying to understand me. Even if they disagree with me, you could still try to understand what my position is, but there are some people who just don't care. And honestly, I've stopped investing time on them. Like there have been video edits, clips of things I've said mashed together to make it look (laughs) like I'm saying terrible things. And it's like, you know, you go on the person's profile and it's just screeching, screeching. It's like, I'm not, this person doesn't, I don't think they actually think that I think this. It's just, it, there's no point talking to yeah. some people, at least not in an online forum where they're just going to, I guess, use it for more material. Yeah. The patterns are strange. It's weird how yeah. if you spend a lot of time online, you just start noticing patterns and mm-hmm. it's just weird. It's like, okay, this someone says something crazy. Click on the profile, pronouns in bio, like yeah. Bernie supporter, like a whole feed is like anti-Trump, like pro it, it, you know communist yeah. propaganda and whatever and you're just like okay so it's one of those ones it's almost like i, I feel like 90 percent of sort of social media accounts can sort of be put in like one of a handful of boxes and it's yeah like, and you immediately oh, you're one, know. it's one of those ones yeah it's one of those ones yeah. okay, it's one of those but yeah i mean what's your um what what are your sort of aspirations for for everything that you do? So you you've got your podcast going, pseudo intellectual. Um, mm-hmm. You've got your new role editing, Evie Magazine, and I'm sure a lot more to come. What is your what's your sort of long long term perspective on it all? Do you have specific goals that you're you're trying to achieve? Well, I definitely um, would like to get into writing more, specifically something long form like a book, and okay. just in in general, like we've. I've kind of been thinking like, where are my passions right now? What am I most um, interested in? And it's 
you know, there's a, there's a huge policy debate going on with this whole socialism thing. And I, I want to be able to speak out on it, but I feel like a lot of people, they overlook the cultural issues. And so I'm really passionate, like on my podcast, we talk a lot about dating, about families and things like that, because I feel, I feel like that's a huge chunk of life that people are missing. And it's something that if you don't get it right, it's going to affect everything else. Which, which we see now in society. Like yes. You can have the best government programs, but if people are fractured, they're not going to be happy. They're not going to be performing well. And it's, it's just, it's going to be sort of a domino effect into everything. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I guess like long, long term, I would like to know or kind of figure out maybe like talking through subscribers, what more we can do to maybe bring back this, this, movement that says marriage is okay that family is good you know that all of this is good and there's a lot of other commentators who are you know really proud of showing off like you know their family life and because i think there's also this narrative that we see all the time that uh you know have being married is miserable like oh the old ball and chain and having kids is too exhausting because yeah. you have to wake up early and it's the worst so i i would like to be part of something that is maybe not even political necessarily, but just pro-family. I think that's one of the most important things that I could do. I think the biggest problem in a lot of Western countries and certainly in certain communities within them yeah. does stem from, you know, in family, you know, mm-hmm. family, whether that's, you know, we talked about single motherhood, father absence, you know, divorce, broken families, all that kind of stuff. I think that is really like, if you're going to go to the root of a lot of these right. things, whether you're talking about something like mass shootings, you're talking about stabbings in the UK, you're talking about drug addiction, you're talking about um, unemployment or people mm-hmm. not getting jobs, you're talking about people ending up in the criminal justice system, all these right. kind of things, the common denominator with so many of them, with a large percentage, does stem from the fi- family dynamic and wider yes. than that, the community dynamic. And it's really weird to me because to me, that's like this huge elephant in the room and everyone wants to skirt around and talk about these other issues. And, you know, everyone wants to talk about criminal justice reform. Everybody wants to talk about, um, should this be legalized? Should that be legalized? People want to talk about all these other things that I think are easy to sort of take a comfortable position on. But then when it comes to the core of everything, we are all part of a family. We don't just like appear on earth from mm-hmm. nowhere. We all have a family, whether or not you, you like them or not, or whatever, whatever dynamic we we all have that and you can see of course there's there's exceptions in everything but the general trend of someone who is raised in a, a stable household with you know married parents who actually like each other or good siblings or whatever in a good community the chances of success versus you know someone who's in the opposite and that's not to say that no no one chooses what they're born into right but it's like look if it might take a generation or two but if we can kind of put some more focus back on that, then I, I think it's so understated and undersold how important that is because it's just, it's, it's like in your face, you know what I mean? It's in yeah. your face and the statistics and data backs it up. And it's, it's hard because not only are people not talking about it, but you get shamed if you try to talk yeah. about it, right? Because there's, and there's this whole like cultural libertarianism where not only are you not allowed to prevent people from doing things you're also not allowed to criticize it no. right this idea that all family structures are equally totally. beneficial it's like no and again this isn't done out of hate but we need to be able to talk about this we have absolutely to. and it's something i see so much i mean like, i'm a rapper 
okay? Mm-hmm. In the world of like hip hop and rap and rap culture and everything like that, it's, it's weird. I, sometimes I have this like love-hate hip, love-hate relationship with like hip hop culture, not like the music so much, but like mm-hmm. the, the, the culture and some of the messages in the music because it's like, I love this thing, but at the same time, some of the, some of the messaging and some of the images, you know, just some, some mm-hmm. of the yeah. stuff but at the same time, I'm just like, guys, like, come on, you know, how are you going to be talking about all this and rapping about all this and doing all that? And then like two seconds later, you want to, you know, talk about criminal justice reform. You wanna, it's like, dude, come on. Yeah. You can't be like literally selling drugs and gangbanging <laughs> and sleeping with like having eight baby mamas and like all this kind of stuff. And then you want to be like, oh, you know, the problem is that Trump is racist. I'm like, yeah, I, how am I supposed to take you seriously? You know, and, it, and it's and the pressures in that world even more so to kind of like go along with that or certainly not to criticize it or whatever are so much stronger than I think most people realize. Like people saw what happened when when Kanye stepped out the box. Right. Mm -hmm. But like it is, it is crazy. And the more it's one of those things, the more you learn about it, like the deeper it goes, it's not, it's not totally by accident that the kind of hip hop that you hear on the radio or the music videos you see or whatever, all the, a huge percentage are kind of in the same vein and have been for decades. That's not, that's not by accident. Um, and this isn't me being like a conspiracy theorist. This is me like having some insider info. And it's like a lot of this stuff was, has, been, has been sort of intentionally programmed. And when you sort of like realize that and you see it, well, one, it makes a lot of things make more sense. But also you're like, man, like this is literally selling poison to people who really need the opposite. And then if you criticize it, you get people are so like over time, people, it's been so normalized that by you criticizing it, you then become the bad guy, right? <laughs> you know? it's, it's one of, it's one of their sacred cows. You can't, yeah. you can't talk about. It. And it's, it's not just hip hop. It's, it's our movies. It's our television shows. It's our public schools. It's everywhere. It's really mm-hmm. like when you start noticing it, it's really like how rare it is to just see a happy nuclear family portrayed in any type of media with like no negative overtones, yeah. it's, it's almost, I'm not going to say it never happens, but it happens very, very rarely. And it's hard to look at that and not see an agenda to it. Mm. Uh, and, you know, maybe it's not even done maliciously. Maybe it's just these people's lives look like that. So they think everyone else's do, but it's, it's worrying because we're like, there's for a lot of people who don't have that background, media might be the only way they get to see what a healthy, stable family looks like, but now yeah. they can't. Yeah, it's weird. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's going on now where I wonder how much stuff is planned and how much stuff is just like, oh, okay, they mean well, but it just sort of turned out that way, you know? And yeah. I, try to, I try to generally assume good intentions of people and of things, but I've, I kind of feel like I, I know too much now. <laughs> it's like, like there's some stuff I'm just like, no, nah, the intentions behind this are not good yeah. it might be, and it might i'm, be I'm super jaded yeah <laughs> i'm like the intentions here are not are not good i don't i don't necessarily know why someone is trying to do this but yeah and i mean like this is you you can really you see this a lot in like movies and even comic books or games like you see something kind of cringy and then you look at the profile of one of the writers the director and you see all of the like trump derangement stuff so it, i mean when i when i see that it's like it's hard for me to believe that this was not intentional, not trying to send a message, which doesn't mean the work is necessarily without merit in terms of art, but it's, uh, we know yeah. what you're doing. 
Yeah. So, uh, so here's a question, Lauren. How do, how do we, in an ideal world, how would we sort of balance these things? We've been talking about how difficult it is for humans mm-hmm. and communities to sort of reach this balance. And we, we, we want to have some kind of synergy between individuals and families and communities and institutions and governments. And how do these things sort of work in a harmony to maximize freedom whilst also maximizing what is good for individuals and for society? I mean, and I know this is the whole question of politics, yeah. but it seems like it's our, people want to go all the way there or all the way there. What is the, what is the balance? Well, I think people need to be less, um, less passive. We need to take control or at least regain some ground in terms of culture, right? If, if we don't like how all media is too progressive and anti-family, create your own media that's not, right? Like you have your own music. You're not just criticizing, oh, the hip hop community talks about this too much. You're actually bringing something new to the table. Yeah. We, I know there are plenty of conservatives out there who, I think Hollywood, it's hard because they will try to blackball you. But now there are places, you know, um, specific production companies that have said, hey, we've started up with a specific goal of reaching this audience. Let's make those stories. And I'm not Mm -hmm. even saying like we need to make more conservative propaganda, but just not (laughs) liberal propaganda. Just something that's at the very least neutral. Um, You know, we've seen people like Andrew Clavin and Ben Shapiro from The Daily Wire. They've written fiction books. And I think stuff like that Mm. is great and if you're a parent and you're scared of the the school system homeschool your kids you have some agency you have some control in this if you can't homeschool your kids check out their homework go to the pta meetings keep on top of what they're actually teaching so that if something crazy happens you at least know about it um i also do a lot of work with freedom works which is like a grassroots organization like there are activists who are happy to go door knocking talk about specific issues bring it to their local representatives we've gotten used to just hating things and kind of complaining about them but then not really doing anything about it Mm -hmm. we've been complacent and i think that that needs to change like people this needs to be the time of action is is now how do we get people to stop looking to the the government for everything or if people are going to look to the government what role should the government actually have perhaps in fostering some of this stuff i mean i I look at different countries and it's really interesting to see what goes on so i mean i mean i'm sure as i'm sure you know every single country in europe now has a a negative birth rate um Mm -hmm. some of them like way below replacement level and i've seen in um i think in hungary like they've they've adopted some like very pro-natalist policies for example so i think if a woman has four kids. I don't think she ever has to pay tax again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you get like a government bonus for like having children and things like that. So sometimes, I mean, I lean generally more libertarian, mm-hmm. but sort of in practice and reality, I'm also pragmatic and it's like, okay, well, the government's already there and it already exists. So it's why I can't be like an NCAP or something. Cause it's like, look, it's, it's already there. The system's there. So how can we improve it and maybe slowly maybe slowly reduce its size in theory anyway but if it's there how can it serve and incentivize people in the right way rather than the wrong way i also think about this in terms of health right especially in a country like the u.s same in canada you've right. got, you do have public health care and you know like again something you're not supposed to talk about but it's right in your face obesity for example a huge problem yes. okay so 
it, maybe there's something that the government should do, right? We're, we're in the middle of this crisis. Everyone's talking healthcare, healthcare, healthcare. And it's like, look, why are you only thinking about healthcare once you're hospitalized? Already sick. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm here preaching about exercise and nutrition and stuff. And people are saying, oh, I'm being superficial and I'm being um, vain, right? It's vanity driven. And I'm like, why, why do you only care if it's a virus, right? People are like yeah. literally killing themselves here. Even, you know, it frustrates me because I think, well, why not put some of that? Look, the government has money. The government is taxing people. The government exists. It's doing all this. So if, why can't we shift some of these resources almost to like an earlier stage of mm -hmm. the problem? Do you know what I mean? So rather than waiting for it to blow up there yeah, and shift it there. Well, I think um, when it comes to things like pronatalist policies, I'm actually really for that. And from a government perspective, because we have social security and retirement funds in place, mm. it actually makes total sense for the government to do that. Yeah. Right. I've seen people say it's not the government's place to blah, 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 but it's like, right. But, Social security is essentially in a lot of ways a Ponzi scheme, yep. right? A pyramid scheme and we need people. And what happens when people start having kids? The government doesn't have any more money. We start to borrow. This is something that affects all of us. Mm. Not saying individual people should be shamed for not having kids, but we need to keep alive the idea that having <laughs> children is a good thing for yeah. society. Um, so I'm for that. And it's funny that you mentioned obesity because I feel the same way. I was looking for content on, uh, there's this show on TLC called My Six or 600 Pound Life. And it's, this is, I, I've even heard um, someone from the army in the United States say that this has actually gotten to the point where it's posing a national security threat wow. because too many people are being disqualified because <laughs> of weight issues Yeah, I've heard that. from the military. It's like, yeah. we need to talk about this. That's another, I guess, critique I would have of American culture specifically UK and Canadian to a lesser extent, but Americans especially do not take care of themselves. And I think mm. the drug use actually factors into that because drugs are not healthy. Drinking's not healthy. Yeah. Um, but it's, I, I remember, you know, when that Peloton ad was going around and everyone was <laughs> hating on it and I was like, what's the problem? It's weird, but why is yeah. it so bad? And one of the, the complaints was, well, it makes no sense. He gets her an exercise bike, but she's always skinny. Mm. And that's when I realized some Americans believe exercise is something you only do to lose weight. Yeah. That, and I, I even like I've mentioned like I'm on a kind of a restrictive and no sugar diet. Okay. And I've had people say, why you don't need to lose weight. And I'm like, it's not just for losing weight. Like these are health choices you should be making always. Honestly. It's not just a, like, oh, I need to do it until I kind of look better. It's, no, that's yeah. not how it works. Honestly, I, I promote strength training. I promote resistance training. Everyone's like, yeah, but I don't want to be like huge. I don't want to be, I'm like, do you, do you think you get like that by accident? Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I don't want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You won't, don't worry, you know? Um, yeah, I just, and I feel like there's so many things that people need to be, taught in school that they're just not like, I mean, people need to be taught about the economy, how government works, reading comprehension would be great. Nutrition would be important. There are so many things where I look at society now and I just think, did no one cover this with you? See, th this is where, this is where I become a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I don't think that's accidental. Really? I don't well, think, I think definitely with government and economics. Yeah. Look, the two obvious things that should really be taught in school are money in general, money, mm -hmm. finances, economics, and health, nutrition, exercise, like money and health, no matter, no matter what you do in the future, these two things yeah. affect everybody and everybody cares about them and they matter to everybody. So why is there like almost nothing 
in the school curriculum, like you're not even in the university curriculum. You can have someone yeah. graduating university, someone coming out with a master's degree, and they don't understand the basics of, you know, even stuff like how does a mortgage work? How do credit cards work? Well, what is yeah. interest? Um, how, what are the just basic economics? What is a calorie? Like what do the different, and it's crazy to me that people don't know that. And that, so that's the point where I'm like, that's where the conspiracy theory hat comes on. And I'm like, hmm. Well, it is, it is strange. Cause I don't know if you've seen on some of like in some places, I think New York and places in California, restaurants are mandated. They put it into law that you have to put the calorie count hmm. on every dish. But it's like, okay, you've put this into law. Have you even bothered teaching kids what calories are though? You know, this is, this is meaningless unless they actually know what those numbers mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know, Laura. We'll work it out. Yeah. We'll work Here's it out. hoping. <laughs> awesome. Um, we're, com- we're coming up to an hour. So um, before we go, is there, um, firstly, where can people find you online? And secondly, okay. is there anything you've kind of got going on or anything you wanted to promote? Sure. Well, um, you can find me at the Lauren Chen on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Parlor, and I'm also on TikTok newly. Quarantine oh, yes, has been yes. a weird time for me, so <laughs> I'm on TikTok now. We'll see yeah. how that goes. I like and, your, um, um, your your conservative um, starter pack video. Oh yeah, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And I had to have someone, I asked my mother to help me film it because I needed someone, but I had to explain to her what TikTok was before <laughs> she helped. And that was a good 20 minute conversation. Okay. Um, and aside from that, uh, if you, if you're on YouTube and search me, I may or may not pop up, but there's always blazetv.com slash Lauren. Um, and also at evmagazine.com. Uh, I, I post articles there pretty frequently. Awesome. Tell us, uh, we've, I forgot to touch on that. Uh, tell people a little bit about EV Magazine and what you guys are doing there. Sure. So EV Magazine, it's an online publication, kind of like Refinery29 or Bustle. Uh, they do things about health, beauty, fashion, and culture. But what sets them, I think, apart from all these other women's magazines is that they actually take a more conservative or libertarian Less slant on the cultural issues. Right. Versus just <laughs> pro, pro, you know, yeah, degeneracy. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm editor of the cultural section. So we do things on movies, uh, politics, dating and things like that. And, you know, there's stuff on celebrity gossip as well. But it's just it's kind of trying to give women who want to want to have something they can read while they're uh, on the bus or the train a perspective that isn't at the same time pushing things like, by the way, here's how you cuckold your boyfriend or crazy things like that, which we see from Cosmo. Yeah. I, I despair when I see some of those. Was it Teen Vogue? That Teen one Vogue. Was, Teen crazy. Vogue. <laughs> I see some of this stuff. I'm like, <laughs> I'm yeah. like, man, am I, am I, am I getting old and prudish? But this is a no. bit much like, yeah. yeah, no, you're not old and prudish. Okay. If anyone tells you that, they're <laughs> gaslighting you. That is crazy. We need to call that out. That's this okay. is like too far. <laughs> awesome. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really been good Thank you so much for having me. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Proof for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.